the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. shadows casting me some days the sun don't shine sometimes I wonder what tomorrow's gonna bring when I think about my dirty life and time one day I came too park in the road and I just couldn't go where I was told welcome to the marinade with Jason Earl a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 70, and our guest is John McEwen. John is a songwriter, author, and one of the best banjo players in the world. He is most known for his work with the legendary Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, with whom he has won Grammys, become uh, part of the first American band to play in the Soviet Union, and broke all kinds of musical barriers just an incredible life this man has lived and i'm so excited for y'all to hear our conversation you can find all things john at johnmcewen.com everyone it is such an honor to bring you my conversation with john McEwen. progress in your book so i'm excited to hear some of those stories so if i can just get you talking about stories uh, that would be really cool because i just read the one um it, there's a story about you playing you're with a new degree dirt band and you're playing uh in i think it was a festival in ohio and uh a huge star-studded lineup willie was there if i remember this story correctly hank jr was there uh, there's all these big names and uh, a woman began dancing uh, sans clothes in the middle of yeah. the crowd. That story about that girl at the concert, that was really <laughs> kind of embarrassing for her. But uh, what it was is we were up on stage playing Battle of New Orleans, and this girl out in the audience about 150 feet out, maybe no, 100 feet out, naked, totally naked, in the middle of a country music crowd of, maybe 30,000 people. And she was swinging her hair. You would have thought it was Woodstock, but uh, it wasn't. It was only about eight years ago. And she was, she had these people kind of giving her a wide circle, but then they started closing in and trying to stop her. 
and she reached down between her legs and pulled out the only weapon she had. And um, it was the wrong time of the month, and she started swinging it around and around, and people were getting away from the... Uh, they didn't want to... It's kind of embarrassing, you know, that my book, The Life I Picked, is not all like this, but this was... <laughs> so she she was uh, separating the crowd, but then her ammunition started drying up, and when it dried up, the crowd closed in around her and picked this naked woman up on crowd surfing style and got her moving towards the front of the stage and dumped her over the security fence and fired our guns and the British kept coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's going on, you know, the Gulf of Mexico and they dumped her over the fence and the music was hot. The, the, the day was warming up, but the show was hot and it was like the security guards came and, moved her away <laughs> oh that's great man there's so Not many I, I didn't write home about that i didn't even tell anybody <laughs> well you there's so many great stories in the book uh the book's the life i've picked and i've been reading it it's um it's really wonderful and there's just you've lived such a life i mean you've picked such a life john and uh i want to talk about the book and how it came together um sure what first of all i guess what was the inspiration to to write it and then what was your process like well it was a a situation where i was doing 95 percent of the interviews with the dirt band because you know one guy ah the game is on i can't miss the game or no man i'm really tired or i've just ordered some food or, i want to go eat or i don't do it one of the guys i would rarely take to an interview you had the same three answers every time you went and uh there was more to talk about i love meeting people it's good to find the find the people that are playing your records so in the course of that event i did about ten thousand interviews wow maybe 9400 but i did another two thousand on in the last 10 years on my own mm. for my own shows solo shows and uh you know, if you're out of the road working and it's 1977 and you're doing 10 dates, each one would have at least two interviews. So there's 20 dates. And one's a radio, one's a newspaper. So the radio people kept saying, oh, man, you ought to have those stories written down. You ought to write those stories down. They said that for 20 years, hmm. starting around 1970. And I didn't have that many stories, but I did have some. <laughs> by then, you you already had a bunch, really. Well, by 1980 and 1985, I had a bunch, and I wrote them down. And in the 90s, I kept writing. I quite a quite a thing to be in the nitty gritty dirt band and to leave. Mm. You know, well, I had to leave. I was getting divorced. I had six kids. I was blaming it on the band, which was partially true. And the night, I don't think you, I don't, well, maybe you got to that part. The night I separated from my wife, this is in the, in the 80s, I said goodbye to the kids and said, I got to go live somewhere else. Uh, 
and I walk into a grocery store about five hours later because I was hungry. And right when I walked in the store, Mr. Bojangles started. <laughs> and I and I went, this this is going to be good a, a book someday. <laughs> and when I'm going the next little while to go pick up my kids, Dave Mason's yelling at me, there ain't no good guys, there ain't no bad guys, there's only you and me, you know. And and I said, well, this will, with tears in my eyes, I said, this will be good in the book. So <laughs> the book started coming together. And it, right now it's at a happy space because, well, um, the book's at a happy space. I may not be. My brother, who has been a mentor, a fellow musician, manager, photographer, record producer, all those things to me, passed away a few days ago. And uh, I'm trying to deal with that. But you want to hear about my book and, and my life uh, that I describe in it? He's a big part of that. Pops up every now and then. I'm so sorry for your loss, John. And, and if, if yeah. we need to reschedule, man, we can absolutely reschedule. No, no. Okay. Yeah, okay. I have been writing... It's very strange because I've written a bunch of obituaries for people and I'm writing this one. Oh, wow. <clears throat> but Bill was a record producer, television producer, film producer, studio owner. He works with the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Steve Martin, Pee Wee Herman, Steve Landisberg, a band called Starwood, a band called Louisiana's LaRue, Robert Schimmel, the Sunshine Company, and the early Almond Brothers. And he didn't just work with them. He managed them. He got some record deals. So that's that's a good thing to speak about proudly. Mm -hmm. But you have other questions, and I just wanted to mention him doing that. Yeah, well, I, 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 you know, I would love to talk about whatever you feel comfortable talking about when it comes to your brother, just because you do talk about him a lot in the book. And um, so when I saw no, I that do. news, you know, I um, my heart went out to you. My heart still goes out to you. Uh, because he was obviously such a impressive person too it seems like the way i'm i'm really touched by the reverence with which you seem to hold each other in your account in the book it seems like you have quite the mutual respect for each other and um and that that's a huge part of what helped you oh, be man. successful i'd go over and visit him in kona where he lived over the last 10 years and we go to a little city street fair or something We'd walk up to somebody he'd been doing business with over the last few months. He goes, oh, this is John McEwen, world's greatest banjo player. You know, mm -hmm. he was very proudly always, Bill, don't brag about me like that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he liked making me semi-embarrassed. And yes, he was very supportive. We had a great time together. Sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. No, no, I love it. I mean, that's what I'm saying is that whatever you're comfortable talking about in terms of that, um, I definitely want to hear about and and I want to hear about whatever you want to talk about too. I mean, that's part of part of what I love about this show is is it's free flowing on purpose, right? So I certainly have questions written down, but wherever we go, we go. So <laughs> we can we'll um, go. <laughs> yeah, so we can go wherever we want to go when it comes to that. With the book, and, and it's so you're, it's really kind of an intimate account in many ways. Like you're, you're really open in it, and um, uh, I, I'm curious about how comfortable you are being so open 
to, I mean, you're opening yourself up to whoever picks the book up, right? So how I comfortable don't know. you are. I, I just tried to tell what I saw, what I experienced from my viewpoint, the dirt band stuff that's in there, the things about nitty gritty dirt band with which I had spent 50 years. And, uh, you know, I tried to look at the good side. I'll tell you the truth. I finished the manuscript and I, I went, I did a search in my computer and for the word prick, I went and took those out and asshole. I took that out. They didn't need to be there, you know, in referencing other people in the group because everybody thought each other was that, Mm. you know, at different times, everybody would except Richard, uh, except, uh, Richard, except Richard Hathaway, a bass player we had for, with us for a while. He was always nice. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but he only lasted three years, darn it. But, uh, <laughs> no place seven. for a nice man in the uh, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. <laughs> uh, yeah. You're going to get fired. You're too nice. <laughs> but uh, in doing that, I didn't tell everything in my life, but everything I talked about, I was truthful, Mm. you know, and trying to be, my editor helped me a lot. Steve Martin was reading my stories. I'd send him one, I'd send him another, a month later I'd send another one. And he said, you have a book here, but you need an editor. And well, why do I need an editor? I can edit. And then I got an editor And I can see how he can take 700 words and make it 500 words and not miss anything. Hmm. Just by sentence shuffling and putting the, you know, so he he edited it. Hmm. And then when I got the deal with the publishing company, I I had a grammar editor, a a punctuation editor, a fact-checking editor. (laughs) A prick and asshole editor. (laughs) No, those were... But, uh, and, uh, then it was done. And, when, and uh, for folks listening, you. when you say Steve Martin, you mean the Steve Martin who you're childhood friends with? Yeah. Well, if you're a child at 16, yes. Uh, you're a child we at met, 16. I see. We met, when, <laughs> we were children at 16. I, I think everybody's a child at 16 is what I was saying. I seen some 40 year old children. That's the truth. That's the truth. I may be guilty of it. I'm coming up on 40. I may be guilty of being a child every once in a while. No. Well, yeah, Steve Martin and I met when we were 16 in Disneyland. We were both trying to get a job at the magic shop. Then we got our dream job. At 16 years old, we're working Disneyland. He was already working there as a, as a stock boy for in Adventureland but he wanted to do magic in front of people. And it wasn't a performance situation, really, but you performed all day long. You tried to sell magic tricks, and you had to do them good enough to sell them. Mm. You couldn't screw them up. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, let me do it again, you know? No. And they, they, they weren't hard, some of them. Some of them were. And uh, it was fun. Well, in, in that story, it kind of comes out. Like the, Swingali, the Swingali decks, for instance. There's a deck of cards called Swingali, 
S-V-E-N-G-A-L-A deck of cards. And it had a couple of tricks to do with it. And I sold 152 decks one day. I held the record. And I was like, Steve, how many Swingali decks do you do today? I did 140. I said, ah, I did 152. Ah. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, in that story comes out comes out something about you, and that is uh, your work ethic. Like you worked to get good at those tricks, so you could sell more of those decks, and that's a theme that comes out throughout your book. It continues to come up that you're constantly working. Um, in so, where does that work ethic? What is the origin of that work ethic? I, I had to sell more decks. What do you mean? I don't. I mean, in general, right? So, like you, you, you've been working like, really hard your whole life, John. And so, what, what is it? Where does that come from? Doing jobs that aren't called work. Mm. I don't have it. I don't have a job. Some guy wanted me to call him today to talk to him. Is that a job? I don't know. <laughs> I'm talking to you about what I do and what I make. And who do I work for? I work for people that are out there that hopefully will buy something that I write or play or put together. And I think it's really good stuff. I've gotten a couple Grammys and some an Emmy nomination and a bunch of little awards that tell me I'm doing the right thing. Mm. But getting the word John McEwen out there and check out my album, Made in Brooklyn, that I did uh, two years old now. That's beautiful. One of the best ever, pardon? It's a beautiful record. Oh, well, thank you. Now, if I could get that, if I could get the people that reviewed it to each sell two copies and then get those, do it like a, well, a pyramid thing. <laughs> you know, You're not trying was, to go Bernie Madoff on us, are you? It would go over 6,000 or 8,000 units that it sold. It's the absolute gorgeous record mm -hmm. that I poured my heart into that I still try and tell people, pick up Made in Brooklyn. It's uh, all recorded with one microphone, and I use a bunch of people, like, well, for those that are listening, <laughs> David Blomberg and, mm. and Tiger Cash, Jay Ungar, the fiddle player, Andy Gessling, the multi-instrumentalist from the band Railroad Earth, mm. Martha Redbone, John Cowan from the Newgrass Revival, Steve Martin, he plays on a... On a Leave, uh, what's the guy? Uh, oh, come on, John. What's the song? A Warren Zevon song. Excitable Boy. Mm. Matt Cartsonis, who's a guy that works with me. He's a great singer and a fun guy. I talked to him last night. Mm. Anyway, so when I was working in Disneyland, I didn't want to work as a stock boy. I wanted to fool people. I wanted to do magic. I wanted to keep track of the stock I got to order some more, some more bark, you know, the plastic bark. <laughs> I got to order some more of these and that. And now I got to go do this show. I used to complain when I only got 50 hours a week. My average was six, 50 in the summer was 55 and 60. One week I worked 92 hours. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh man. You should have seen the check. I got a, check was $121. Yeah. I, was, I, went and, I went and cashed it 
all in $2 bills, except <laughs> the one. And uh, that was fun. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I was basically, I've been trying to have fun my whole life. Oh, that's and great. if you're doing something that's fun, and it's something you choose to do, that you want to make a living out of it, just get it out there. Do it. Do it enough. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, if you you know, but you have to produce something. I do know that. Right. And you have to, if you get known for producing something, you have to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and some part of that production too, uh, the the fact that you uh, you're you're in the you're in this world in from the '60s all the way through today where. You're in music, and you're around these incredible musicians. I mean, the the book, your book is full of these just wild stories about, you know, Gary Busey playing drums on the session and all the, all these things. Well, yeah. that like, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. But see, he was just Gary Busey. He was Teddy Jack Eddie, his nickname. Yeah. He hadn't done. He, he was on his way to Austin, Texas. To start the Buddy Holly movie, which started his film career, mm. and he was a drummer that was becoming an actor, and he was a good drummer. And we were recording at Leon Russell's house, which was pretty far out in itself. But, yeah, uh, I'd known Leon since uh, 1966. Wow, and and it was fun. I couldn't believe it. Leon Russell's house in the basement. Hey, Leon, uh, the studio was in the basement. It was a big mansion. They had to tilt it on its side about 20 degrees and build the studio underneath it and then drop it down back down on top of it. And, uh, this, he was in a, his heyday. Yeah. And, Hey Leon, can I use your phone? I got a call from, yeah, there's a, yeah, man, there's a phone out down the hall there. I go down the hall and there's a pay phone. <laughs> <laughs> he knew musicians. <laughs> Because that's back when it would cost to to call long oh, yeah. long distance. I spent three dollars on a call home. You know, <laughs> he didn't spend time. It seems like you but, and Leon, from what I tell in the book, though, you guys really like you, you guys seem like friends. You seem as if you who? really you and Leon Russell. It seems like you got along oh, really yeah. well. I was his favorite banjo player, and he was my favorite piano player. Mm. And yeah. Oh yeah, we we uh, encountered each other at least twenty five times. You know, mm -hmm. I hired him for five different shows, and uh, I, but in spite of, in uh, let's see, and in addition, I sat in with him on another five or six or seven shows, mm -hmm. played three or four songs, and it was really fun. It was always fun. He did not stop. He made it rock. Uh, I played fiddle. I played fiddle and banjo, and it was really fun. Uh, I felt like I, I felt like I was a little part of some of that mystique of the seventies, and I, I was like Forrest Gump with a banjo or a fiddle. I was just going along. Well, oh, it's my turn. I better get, I better make it look good, you know. Wow, that's a really good analogy. Like Forrest Gump with a banjo. Like you you were just you're in everything, right? So you I mean, some of those stories like uh and again, for folks listening, the the book is absolutely worth your time. It's it's really a delight, but some of those stories 
Yeah, yeah. It's just like it's so interesting how um, how many people you were able to. So how many people who were even heroes of yours that you were able to uh, charm into or because of your talent they wanted to be a part of these projects that you did? And, but then you also talk about your perpetual insecurity at some point in the book. And so yeah. how do you balance those? How do you end up going, I'm going to go and ask – you know, Roy A. Cuff to be on my, you know, in my life <laughs> or whatever. Earl A. Cuff for, for us. Yeah, and, and, well, also, and also Earl for that matter. Well, Earl, yeah, okay, well, there's, I'd gotten to know him for six months, and one night I said, I got my nerve up, and I, uh, I uh, Mr. Scruggs, uh, Earl, Earl, uh, can I ask you a question? Uh, I was wondering, do you, Earl, do you think, would you... Uh, would you, uh, yes, John, what is it? Said, would you record with the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band? And he said, I'd be proud to. Oh, my gosh. I went, okay. Well, we got the first one. And a week later, I asked Doc Watson the same question. And I said, we're doing an album with Earl Scruggs. We want you to be part of it. We weren't doing an album. I was there by myself. <laughs> you know, but... That uh, wasn't too far off of the line of bullshit, but it was. Uh, excuse me, are we on radio? No, and you can say whatever you want. Okay, well, it wasn't too far off the uh, off the mark, but uh, he got on the phone with my brother. They talked for fifteen minutes, and Bill McEwen, my my brother, put it put Doc together, and then he and then I talked to Bill later. He says. I'm going to get Merle Travis, see if he wants to do it. And then I asked Earl if he'd get Mabel Carter. And three weeks after those questions were asked, the end of June, that's when we told the Dirt Band. And uh, what, what we were, we're going to go to Nashville and record, because by then, by three weeks in, Earl had gotten Jimmy Martin. Wow. Or, uh, Louise, Louise got Jimmy Martin, his wife, Louise. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Earl had gotten Maybell Carter and Vassar Clements in the bass player and had set up a meeting with ACUF. And it was like, oh man, we gotta, we're gonna record some music. You know, and I, I knew all the music because that's what I was playing before the Dirt Band. I was playing bluegrass, Merle Travis, and stuff. Mm. And uh, Jeff said, Who's Jimmy Martin? <laughs> <laughs> He's the best bluegrass singer in the world. <laughs> well, how come I've never heard of him? Because you don't listen to bluegrass. <laughs> and now, now I hear Jeff talk about this album like, yeah, our heroes, our buddies, yeah. Jimmy Martin. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like Jackson, like Jackson Bones in the Dirt Band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe Jackson would put that on his website in his bio his record discography Uh oh he didn't record with us he only played five shows with the early band that is a pretty wild story though and that's right before he kind of broke too right before he kind of made it big two years before he broke two years okay he was in the group three years before he had record success and did y'all record one of his tunes oh yeah he was a great writer he was a friend right yeah, that he is a great writer is understood now. Right. But uh, yeah, we recorded uh, four of them, I think. 
three at least. Were you able but, to? Sorry. Go ahead. Were you able to recognize somebody like Jackson Brown, who's now everyone accepts that he's a great writer? Were you able to, to um, in the moment, two years before he became Jackson Brown, were you able to recognize just how good he was in that moment? Well, uh, beyond like, hey, he's really good. No, you didn't go, my God, this guy's writing hit songs. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> That's going to be on the radio. It was, you were trying to, you had a job to do. You had to play that night. You had to get together. Oh, hey, did you hear Jackson's new song? No, I missed it. I was in the lobby or whatever. By lobby, lobby of the club. We weren't playing concerts. It was clubs. Mm. Every now and then a concert, 67, 68. And then you'd end up at the State Fair in Arizona, make a lot of money and go home and play the Troubadour, mm. you know? Mm. And so and Jackson was playing folk clubs and you'd end up there sometimes. And then by 69 and the concert started, there just weren't as many venues as there have been, you know, now in the last 20 years. You know, in L.A. in 1966, there was maybe two. Wow. Wow. <laughs> you know, the Ice House and the Troubadour. Wow. And then, oh, the Ice Grove. The Ice Grove was a folk music club. And that's now the improv, the comedy room. Mm. And uh, there the wasn't whis- even a comedy room. Was the Whiskey A Go-Go oh, still there? No, say there was a Whiskey A Go-Go, but mm. that was a Whiskey A Go-Go. Yeah. They're going to have rock band and dance band and stuff like that yeah you know they i went to see the almond brothers there when bill brought them to my brother bill brought them to town he got a gig there but they weren't the almond brothers they were being called the hourglass Mm -hmm. and uh you know it was an interesting time because they were just barely i think they made a hundred dollars a piece but uh, it was an interim thing. It was scrambling. I don't know why these people did it. The dirt mm. band was making maybe a hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars a week. Wow. Each, each, you know. Yeah. In sixty-seven, sixty-eight, and then we would make a record, and we get a couple thousand from that. But it had to last for two months, three months. And uh, and you had kids yeah. pretty early. No, so no, not no at kid. that point. Okay, 1970. I was the first one to have kids. Okay, have kid. But by 72, 73, we're in Colorado. The Uncle Charlie album, our fifth album, it's, which is my favorite. Of, it's so good. Oh, it is. Good. It's favorite of yours. It yeah, is, yeah. Of uh, new great dirt bands, I should say. Sorry. Yeah. Well, uh, it had. House of Pooh Corner, some of Shelley's Blues, and Mr. Bojangles. Three hits off of one album. Mm-hmm. That put us on the road, got the career going good. And then I asked Earl if he'd record. And uh, since he said when he met me, hey, Earl, why'd you, come, why'd you come see this band? His son, Gary, was driving to the Opry with his family. And he he said, you know, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band's at Vanderbilt tonight. You guys want to go? And Earl and everybody, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I'd love to see them. They've got that Uncle Charlie album, you know? Oh, cool. And Earl had heard it. I'd recorded Randy Lynn Rag on that album. It was really lightning fast bluegrass tune. And uh, I got to say, um, yeah, I'd recorded Randy Lynn Rag, one of Earl's songs on that album. And I said, after introductions and some time, 15, 15 minutes, I said, Earl, why'd you come? Why do you want to come see us? Well, I just wanted to meet the boy who played Randy Lynn Rag the way I intended to. Wow! <laughs> oh, I'm going to use that for the rest of my life. What a compliment! How do you react to compliments like that? That's a hell of an endorsement. Well, it it was a nice thing to say, and you know, oh, you're just saying that, but I, I did play it good. <laughs> I played it in front of him. And uh, with Gary and Randy Scruggs backing me up, and we burned it again. It was good. Wow. We were sitting sitting there two feet away. But uh, I play better under a spotlight than I do with no. When I'm recording, if there's a red light on, I'll play better. Uh, if there's an audience, I can play better. It's uh, I don't know why, but after all these years, I've found that out yeah that i was that why was gonna be my question what do you think it is about that i don't know fear maybe drugs uh... gary scruggs told me i love to see you when you're improvising and you're trying to do something new and i can tell you're going to screw up and then you do something better than what you intended uh... i said you're the only guy that's ever caught that gary and that's uh... exactly right I will think that I'm going to do something clever, and I go, "Oh no, I got to, oh, I got to get out of it," and I'll get out of it with something better. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> that, there seems like there's a good lesson there for performers in general. That maybe there's something to to hold on to about the idea of if if you're you're starting to to go the wrong direction, um, almost yeah, chasing it, right? Uh, almost chasing yeah. it in a different direction, or I don't know. Like, what what is the is there a lesson there? Listen to the music, man. <laughs> yeah. Don't try and plan it all out, but mm. get it planned out enough that you can follow it for a while. Um, there, there's some things that I play that are planned out completely, and I can execute them and stuff, but that's that fast improv type of deal. Right. And uh, it happens more with a fiddle, I think. Mm. But anyway... Next why question. <laughs> why more with the fiddle? It's easier to uh, stop and start. Mm. A banjo is, I don't know, maybe that's it. Easier to stop. and so, You know, it's easier to go, on the banjo, you can't go, dang. <laughs> it's like what is it you start playing there already you know you gotta go <laughs> with speaking of fiddle and you mentioned vassar earlier i i have followed a lot of things he's been involved in for a long time and um he's kind of like one of the patron saints of spirit of the swanee music park which is my favorite place on earth 
Um, mm-hmm. And so I've always wondered what Vassar seems so revered by people who knew him. I always kind of wondered what it was like being around him. Oh, you know, it's like being around uh, maybe a carpenter that could play great piano. And, or maybe it was like being around a normal guy that was a genius at something you had no idea. If you met Vassar, he would have been asking questions about you say, well, what do you do? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, you sell potato chips? I don't know. Okay. You know, I've always liked potato. How long can they stay on them? You know, and you ask him, oh, I play the fiddle. <laughs> but he can play the fiddle so good, he can play things that even he couldn't play. <laughs> He'd go, I used them many times after the Circle album. He'd be out in the studio and he'd be, ripping along on something that's kind of whatever and I I say Vassar how did you come here and listen to that you come in the control room I'd play the tape I said how did you do that dad by him I I don't reckon how what is that guy doing there you know he didn't read music he couldn't read a chart Hmm. he he often didn't know what key he was in but every now and then he He'd say, this is in C, right? No, it's in D, Vassar. Oh, okay. You know, but uh, he played the way a guy that's a great singer can sing in the shower. Mm. You know? Wow. Uh, they just go in and they sing. They don't know, he may not know music at all, but he knows the song. Wow. And Vassar uh, played from the heart. I had him out in the studio one time. I put a chart in front of him, and he looked at it and said, hmm, what's that for? I said, oh, it's, it's, it's just I'm passing out chord charts. He took it and turned it upside down. He goes, looks better now. <laughs> he learned the song, and he played it. And, you know, it, uh, He had so many notes in him, they would just come out at the right time. Wow. Oh, that's thank you. That's beautiful. I I've always wondered, Swanee is uh, is the 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 happiest place on earth for me. And did have you ever played there, Spirit of the Swanee yeah. Music Park in Live Oak? Yeah. With the band or by yourself? No, me and me and Jimmy Everson hmm. uh, from the Dirt Band as a duo. Mm-hmm. We played there one time. I don't think I played there solo, but the other one I played the Florida Folk Festival down the road from there. Mm-hmm. That's not the same venue, I don't think. No, uh-uh. I'm pretty sure it's not. Yeah. Um, yeah. The gosh, this is so fun, Dan. Th- thank you so much for doing this. This is so much fun. You've got a lot of really cool projects, also, kind of in the works. You've you've got the coffee table book about your trip to the Soviet Union as the first band to play, uh, American band to play in the Soviet Union. Um, yeah. That one, can you talk about how that came together? Because that sounds like a really cool, exciting project. Well, uh, let's say you went to Russia for a month and you did four music school lectures and met a bunch of people and played 28 shows and had your photographer friend go along to shoot 200 usable good pictures. Mm. Uh, why why not put it together? Right, right. Why did it take so long? Well... I don't know. I didn't think of it. That's a COVID time project. And I go, that mm. made it come up. 
well, I'm in the house. What are, what are my assets? Hmm. I never could go through all the Russian pictures. It was too depressing. Mm. I could get to some of them. I could use some of them. I could, you know. But I had 1,700 black and whites, and half of them were out of focus or, you know, uh, the, just they, half of them were no good. And they're on disc, and I have to... Anyway, so I go dig into it. Oh, my God, that's a good one. Oh, this is a good one. I need this now. Mm -hmm. Then the other project is the Mountain Whippoorwill illustrated children's book will be fun next year early. It comes out. The poem I've told since the 70s, up in the mountains, it's lonesome all the time. Up in the mountains, it's lonesome for a child. Whippoorwill is called a saprons wild. Up in the mountains in the fog, everything's as lazy as an old hound dog. Now, I was born, anyway, it goes on uh, and to be an illustrated book that'll have music with it also. The tablature on how to play what I'm playing on the banjo. And an introduction by Steve Martin and a forward by me. And the illustrated story, which is kind of really cool. I've got the finished book, and I can't wait to get it out. Oh, fun. It'll have uh, a audio version of me doing it, and then an audio version of just the instrumental without my voice. So a father mother can sit there on the bed and read it to their kid with the music going behind it, if they care to. Hmm. Or the kid can look at it and practice, and you know. Right. And... Uh, then there's the 50-year book of the Circle Be Unbroken album. Is going to, the Circle album is going to be 50 in 2022. Wow. And the Will the Circle Be Unbroken album has been number one. Well, right today, it's number, I think it's number one, three, and five on three different Amazon charts. Hmm. And I've got to get that five back up to two or something. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, go out and buy a Circle Be Unbroken. Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Just put it on Amazon and look at the top of that chart. And uh, it's a great album. It's the dark mm -hmm. side of the moon. It should be called the dark side of the banjo, <laughs> maybe. Um, that's the one we were talking about earlier mm -hmm. that features Roy Acuff, mother Maybell Carter, mm -hmm. um, and Merle Travis, Doc Watson, Pastor Clements, Jimmy Martin, Earl Scruggs, and a few Nashville pickers, and the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, mm -hmm. which was Les Thompson, Jim Ibbotson, and Jimmy Fadden, Jeff Hanna, and me, John McEwen. And it was it it was thirty four songs recorded in six days, and and finished. Wow! And it's in the Library of Congress. And the Grammy Hall of Fame. Wow. And it that's led, quite a... It led to some cool stuff for you, too. Like, it led to you staying at Johnny Cash's place in New York, right? Or wherever it was. Like, it led to some other connections, if I understand it correctly. Like, those relationships in that record built other opportunities for you. Well, just follow the line, John. It's laying out... In yeah, by the by the eighties, twenty years later, I'm out playing and 
Marty Stewart is playing with Johnny Cash as a musician because he fulfilled one of the one of the conditions that you had to have if you're going to play with Cash, you had to be shorter than him. That's a fun <laughs> detail from the book. I had no idea that was true. <laughs> oh, is that in the book? It is, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't get busted for well, he's bad. Anyway, Marty's shorter than most people, though. (laughs) Marty Stewart. Yeah. I'm paying $50 a night, and he's playing with me because he loves it, and I'm covering his expenses, and he's making a little money. And I said, Look, I'll pay you $100 a night for this weekend I've got coming up in the Northeast if you can get the the cash apartment in New York for a couple nights. Because that'll save me. Four hundred dollars, you know. No, save me like three hundred. And and I went to pick him up in Poughkeepsie, which is funny in itself. <laughs> Picking his feet in Poughkeepsie, um, and I sat in with Cash that night. Wow. And uh, and uh, Marty said, "Don't let it go to your head sitting in with Cash because." I've been with him two years, and so far I've had seen a couple people sit in, a drunk and an eight-year-old girl. <laughs> <laughs> and, but Cash said yes, so he got the apartment. Wow, that's so funny. And, and I flipped the coin to see who was going to get the bedroom. Now, Marty didn't know I'd worked at the magic shop. I knew I wasn't going to lose. <laughs> I made him think he saw... A heads and he goes I'll take heads well it was a tail <laughs> and it was tails and uh, I got the bedroom ha 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 <laughs> and uh, should I go on yeah I think it's a pretty good the, the, the well, next thing that I transpires the, pretty good I got the bedroom and uh, we're getting ready for bed Marty's in the living room watching TV I'm in the bedroom and there's this armoire there and I open it Wow, there's two men in black suits and cleaners plastic, and oh, that's June Carter's nightgown. A nice little, uh, you know, nice long nightgown. Uh, she's a tall woman. I held it up to me, and it's like, yeah, that's that's really nice, June Carter's nightgown. It fit like a glove. <laughs> and, <laughs> I couldn't resist being able to say, I wore June Carter's nightgown. <laughs> oh, that's great, and man. I, and I went out to, I, I was, I didn't think of the consequence, the potential threat right. of cash finding out or yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. You know, I went out to the living room and Marty's watching TV and I, he is not one who moves fast. Yeah. <laughs> And I put my leg up over him and says, hey, big boy, when's the fun? Because he looked at the nightgown and looked at me and yelled and jumped up and ran into the wall. <laughs> and so that was fun. That is fun. Most of the fun I've had on the road has been away from the dirt band. Oh, interesting. It's, and I found that interesting in reading this. Yeah. But that's even a way if it's during the day, you know. But, uh, you know, if the dirt band was on the road, I'd go away or I'd go sit in with somebody Mm. or I'd go do an interview. Mm. I'd do a lot of interviews to get away from 
everybody's thinking they're special or heavy or I've got a hit record or whatever. You know? Yeah. I'm I'm just a guy out there. I'm playing music. I'm playing music that should put me in the best holiday inn in your town. <laughs> but you know, and I'm I'm pretty good at it, but to have it go to your head. And Jimmy Fadden didn't play on the on Buy From Me the Rain or Mr. Bojangles, but you would have thought he wrote them. <laughs> well, how and much of that did, I, I the, did, but huh? How much of that relationship, uh, the the struggles of that relationship, was that those guys were were on drugs or or boozing, and you were sober? How much was that? What like their behavior because of their substance use? I don't know. Yeah, uh, substance abuse went away by 1988, I think, or 90 or something, and everybody's been clean for a long time. But sometimes it would just amplify what was already there. Oh, okay. Sometimes it was just whatever. Yeah. It's just uh, uh, Fadden called me today to uh, uh, say condolences about my brother. First time I've talked to him in two and a half years. Oh, wow. And Jeff called, and I've been emailing him every now and then because we have business things to do. Yeah. But, uh, and he was, it was nice. Right. Yeah. But nothing, it's a part of what I have done, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Mm. A good part. And I, I did some good things. I recorded 11 solo things within the structure of the band over the years. Mm. Opus 36, you know that song? Yeah. The banjo song. Uh-huh. I recorded that. I recorded uh, uh, several things on subsequent albums, all in one take. I was the only one in the studio. Bill, my brother producing Uncle Charlie, for instance. Mm-hmm. I'll be in the studio at 11, and I should be done at 11.10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wanted to do it like that, and I did. Yeah. And I was really proud to do that. And uh, other things, I did one take. Right. And that's, it's not bragging. I knew the song. It was something yeah. I'd written <laughs> well, you, you, but you also did the work, you know, you, that's the other thing I think, again, that I, I want to come back to, uh, again and again about what I, I picked up from reading your book and in talking to you as well, um, is that, is that you really are dedicated to your craft that clearly comes through doing the work is very important to you. And so you're more likely to get that one take because you do the work. I thought it was fear. <laughs> well, John I, this has been such a pleasure man we always end on what you're getting down on like what kind of music you're listening to or a film you've seen or something you've read recently that excited you or a painting or you know any anything you've been consuming art wise that has you excited <laughs> I hated that Frankie and Grace ended <laughs> on Netflix I don't know that one Oh, it's a great show with, with uh, uh, Lily Tomlin and J- Jane Fonda. Okay. And uh, it, it really is hilariously funny. As is Schitt's Creek with Eugene Levy is one of one of my favorite 
He's some so comic good. actors. Yeah. And they put a great, those people deserve those Emmys. Yeah. That they win constantly. But uh, that's a, a great show. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Handmaid's Tale. Oh I've gosh. been watching a lot of Netflix this, this last several months. Yeah. Handmaid's Tale is happening right now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> did, did you read the book, Handmaid's Tale, Margaret Atwood's no, book? No, I just saw the, the series. Man, the book is but I, I saw devastating. Three, four, three and four a night. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. I went through the whole thing over a period of about a month. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it is good. Yeah. And music, uh, let's see, no one in particular, just I'm kind of on hold with that, trying to make sure I keep writing some new things. You know, music to me is like a magic trick because mm. I started doing magic first, maybe. I did magic stuff for a couple of years and then music came along. But you practice to do a magic trick you work on it in front of a mirror, you get it down, and then you have to go do it for somebody. Mm. Otherwise, it's nothing. Well, I got that one down. Okay, next. Right. You know. And music has been the same. I'd sit around my house and play. Oh, that's a nice lick. I can't wait to. Oh, I'm not going to be going out for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll try and keep myself in tune for it. And I'll practice, but so I like what I play, and uh, I uh, um, so nothing too much musical. Mm. Been reading a little bit more. Mm. Uh, Mary Trump's book is good. Ah, and uh, that's finished. I've been reading a book about uh, well Chinese medicine. Oh, interesting. RX China. Read that and then ask yourself, what? <laughs> what? Do you mean if our troops are out in the field and they get a certain type of infection, they have to order the drug from China? Wow. 85% of our antibiotics come from China. Wow. 90% of another thing, all the Oh, um, heparin, a blood thinner. Most of that is from China, China. And so, uh, and that, that started around 2004, hmm. 2005, with uh, Chinese getting control of pharmaceutical manufacture and not keeping up on the requirements just read rx china all right i'll check it out yeah that sounds interesting it sounds like something i'd be into i can read that kind of stuff for a half hour but then i gotta go do something else that's fun right the responsibility to do things find things Mm -hmm. play things that are fun because people are waiting i like to believe people are waiting for them right and uh, somebody's got to do it. Maybe that part is me. Right. Um, you know. Can you hear that? I can, yeah. Oh, good. Uh, oh, nice. Let me put 
so beautiful that's the only thing i played all day so thank you for making me do it oh it's so great man oh my gosh what a pleasure thank you so much for everything thank you for the life that you've picked and for sharing those stories from it with us uh john i'm just so grateful for all of your time and and your art and i'm really 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 thankful for this conversation
John McEwen, y'all. Thank you so much, John. Thank you all for listening and supporting the show. What a life that man has lived. Head over to johnmcewen.com to keep up with all things John. Follow the Marinade on Instagram and Twitter or at marinadepodcast.com. If you really like what we're doing, check out our Patreon community, where for just a few bucks a month, you can gain access to Patreon-exclusive content like our show's Jason Journey and our Patreon Happy Hours. Um, It is a community where we celebrate creativity and encourage each other. If you can't swing it, just tell a friend about the show. Give us a rating on your podcast app and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. All right, y'all. It's time for what I'm getting down on, the segment of the show where I talk about the art that is inspiring me at the moment. Stephanie Lambring, y'all. Look that up if you haven't. Shout out to Ben over at... um, Records Revisited, the Records Revisited podcast for this recommendation. The record's called Autonomy. Um, It is devastating. Make sure you're in the right emotional space before you listen to Stephanie Lambring's uh, (laughs) Autonomy. It feels like a good therapy session. Um, Do it. Listen to the record. It's beautiful. Uh, I can't say enough about it, and I'm 100% going to reach out to her and see if we can get her on the show. Uh, I have a feeling we'd have a lot to, to talk about. I've also been heavy into Will Kimbrough. Uh, I've listened to his music for a long time and, and wanted to catch up with him at Swanee a few years ago, but I just was too busy at that time. I, I fortunately had too many things lined up, um, but he has a new record on the way, and it is wonderful. Um, will was gracious enough to agree to do the marinade, and so we will be chatting on Election Day, which I did not think about. <laughs> I already sent in my ballot. Did you? I hope you did. If you didn't, I hope that you're voting early. And safely. And if you didn't do that, I hope you're showing up on election day and getting these motherfuckers out of office. Please vote, everybody. Um, but we are going to talk on election day, uh, which is kind of wild. So I'm sure we'll mostly focus on the weather. Uh, one thing that I've done for a long time that um, I've I started doing again, and this is somewhat creative and somewhat art related, I suppose, um, is I like to watch specifically baseball, but it works with any sport. Um, I like to watch baseball on mute while music is playing. And there's just something so poetic about baseball in general, which I've talked about in with numerous guests and on the show many times. But uh, listening to the right music, pairing it just right, kind of adds like um, adds uh, an air of uh, extra drama to the game, even when you have amazing games like we've had in the World Series so far. So I highly recommend it. Even if you're not a baseball fan, just put it on while you're listening to some music and, and see if it makes a difference for you. I'm reading a book that I'm crazy about. It's called uh, A Gentleman in Moscow, and it's by uh, Amor Towles. And um, it is so good, y'all. <laughs> it is so good. It tells the story of uh, an aristocrat in newly Bolshevik-controlled Russia who's sentenced to house arrest in a grand hotel, the Metropole, across from the Kremlin. And uh, he is such a fascinating character. Everything about the situation we find him in is funny and heartbreaking. It's imaginative and mischievous. I am loving this book, and I can't recommend it enough. Y'all, I love you. I appreciate you so much. 
Thank you all so much for listening and supporting the show. We have some great guests coming up and some great things already recorded that I can't wait for y'all to hear. Um, And so stay tuned. Thank you for your patience. I had to take a little bit of a break because I've been busy, y'all, in the best ways, though. Everything is good, and um, I'm excited for what we have coming up for this show. Until next time. If you can swing it, if you're in the headspace, go out and create something. If not, don't beat yourself up about it. Cheers, y'all.